Cap and Stem. This is the Myco Wizards Podcast. On today's show, I've got the mighty mad dog of the Colorado scene, Mr. Michael Nail of Mile High Fungi. Michael and Liz Nail are a badass duo, and they really have this multifaceted and extraordinary talent that's very much needed to get into the bigger mushroom setups. These two, now three with a brand new kid, share the same sentiments as Captain Stem, really to just help push the industry forward and keep farms growing. So saddle up them shiitake slinging scissors and get to listening while you harvest as Michael and I shoot the shroom for a little bit of Mike Wizard ear candy. <laughs> that was the weirdest fucking intro yet. Oh, you know, being a dad, that's probably the newest thing. Uh, that's kind of changed the yeah. game. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I can imagine, man. Just kind of getting ready for season. I'm still kind of in that snowy, muddy season as far as outdoor yeah, work. It's the same uh, thing but, here. But, yeah, just getting wound up for uh, what I'm hoping to be our best season yet. So, hell yeah, man. What uh? When was your kid born? I feel like I saw an Instagram post, and then uh, and then I I didn't see really an update after that. Yeah, so three months ago today. So it's it's definitely been a interesting transition, but we finally got into the house we've been building for the last four years, and it's been uh, it's just like just in the nick of time, like <laughs> three weeks before the baby came. So that's how it always goes, man. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're good at uh, hustling at the very end. Yeah, I think uh, that's most of us, like psycho people who decide to open businesses. You just your whole life's a hustle, right? And then you figure that you're just passing that on to your kid. <laughs> totally. What I figure she's gonna end up hating mushrooms and be a corporate banker, but I'm gonna try my best to do the opposite. Yeah, is that your goal? Like to uh, pass the inheritance of mycological nerdiness onto her? Or just kind of like wild woman stuff, you know? We've got some acreage up in the mountains and just knowing how to be resourceful and I don't know, not kind of fall into necessary gender norms and just kind of show her, you know, Liz is a badass and knows how to do all the, you know, electrical, plumbing, carpentry stuff that I do and you know, she, she carries a lot of the weight around here as well. So I feel like having that as an example and just kind of showing her all the stuff that maybe I didn't know growing up. Uh, yeah, I think that yeah. that's the goal. Mushrooms that's and- great, man. I know. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who are, you know, they're in that age group now where they're starting to like figure out how to raise their kids in those environments. And like the pandemic has pushed it. My friends, uh, Jose and Celine had a, a kid, her name's Alma down in Brooklyn. And, uh, they came up here like the week before the pandemic was actually a thing. And then they just never left. And their whole life now is just like completely different than living in the city. And they're so stoked on it. And so is she like the, the little one, you know, it's just a different way of life when you can get the hell out of an urban setting and, and learn how to live again, you know? Yeah, it's kind of wild for us because, you know, we started in the city and as we were expanding, I mean, it's like cannabis had exploded. So if you had a derelict warehouse anywhere in the city, it was being snatched up for millions of dollars. 
And I was like, well, we're not going to be able to make those dollars make sense. Uh, so we're like 45 minutes into the high country, west of Denver, but yep. it's nice because you feel like you're at the end of the earth and you pretty much are, but you can still be to the center yeah. of town in under an hour. So it's kind of a sweet spot for us. Any further, we couldn't really a make beautiful the, area. the logistics work as far as transport. Um, but 45. Yeah. Like, Cause I remember when we were shipping stuff to you, it was like, uh, it was a feat to try and get a truck that would even come near you guys. And it was like not happening for a hot second. So totally, really coming I mean, up your way. <laughs> yeah. Just Denver or nothing, you know, anything LTL. They're like, yo, we'll set up a delivery. I'm like, you can't get a tractor and a trailer here for sure. You know, or if you do, you're going to have a really it's pissed true. off driver. <laughs> and they take it out on you at the end of the day, you know, they oh, get righteously sure. pissed. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> I mean, I've having come from that heard. world too, dude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was, uh, was it Neil Brent who posted a photo of like a tractor trailer truck trying to turn around in his spot and getting stuck in a ditch on CMGN? Yeah, it's for like, sure. All in these weird spots. Yeah. <laughs> I we get lucky. Get Trucks can't really find us here, but you know. What's that? I said, I prefer to be in the weird spot. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's 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 worth the uh, hassle at the end of the day for sure. I mean, you it figure out your own is. logistics. I mean, for us it's like we built the business, you know, building included ourselves, uh same with the house, and so you kind of get aware of how the logistics work. So whenever we get heavy equipment delivered, yeah. it's like there's this one spot you have to turn around and, and drop off the machine. And, and that's the only spot. Cause if you come any further, you're going to be cursing me for sure. And, uh, yeah, you know. you're totally fucked. <laughs> right. Yeah, man. It's always entertaining, <laughs> but you know, in the end of the day, I don't want to deal with that. shit. Yeah. That's the thing too, is like when you live in those rural settings, your uh, day is mostly broken up by people who get fucked or stuck or whatever. And you spend your time like towing them out of a ditch or whatever it is, you know, and while it's fun, while it's happening, it's like, uh, if not if it's every day, you're just like, be responsible. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, that was us, you know, getting towed out of the snow bank in the ditch, just getting our asses handed to us. And now we're like fully equipped, you know, everything's chained up and burly and spares of everything. So, you know, there's an initiation. Yeah, that's what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, there is, man. And everybody who lives around you, I'm sure kind of knows it too. And they just sort of wait, you know, do you have like good or close neighbors, like in relative proximity or are you guys pretty isolated? You know, everybody's got like a decent tract of land, so we don't stare at each other, but we, you know, are on the same private road and everybody's got some degree of heavy equipment, whether that's like, you know, track hose or mini X's, we've got a little skid steer, yeah. you know, it's like we all could pull ourselves out of a bind if need be. Uh, and yeah. occasionally it's the excitement on the road, right? You just kind of like, all right. This asshole's stuck. Let's oh, yeah. pull him out. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's the fun part about tourists in the wrong area, you know. <laughs> well, we are definitely close to the public, but every once in a while you'll get some dude looking for boomers like, hey, man, I'm in town oh, yeah. for the weekend. I'm like, you are in the wrong fucking place. But, hey, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is Colorado, right? You know, like it's outlaw territory now with the weed that's gone explosive there. And it's been the only state that's really been able to manage it to a pretty finite degree, it seems. I mean, we led the way. California had the chance, uh, but we were able to just kind of swoop in and say, this is how it's done. And, you know, I've got a lot of friends that work in the industry and basically at this point, as it's blowing up elsewhere, people from Colorado are coming out to these other locales to help start businesses, kind of show people the ropes, all the legal framework, all that stuff. Um, so, you know, it's like, it's a replicable model. That's for sure. Like what we've done here. And we've made so much money, you know I mean? At this point, like, I don't care if you're, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever. It's like it's generated so much money for school systems and just like the public works. Um, so at this point, like nobody it blows my mind that. to think about. No, certainly not. And it's, it's come so far too. And, and it's, uh, I mean, it still catches me off guard because, you know, even though Maine's like a, a pretty liberal state when it comes to it, you still have that feeling when you're like driving down the road, you're like, fuck, is there like a roach in my like, uh, you know, ashtray or like you'd see blues and you're like, what's on me, you know? And it's, it gets this weird thing in your head when you grew up with it being such an oppressive, like herb that's around you if you're a, you know, habitual stoner. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, the kids here will never know what swag looks like. It's just like a, no. an anomaly to them. They're like there's this stuff that was like compressed with maybe Coca Cola and filled with seeds. Like yeah, it's fucking diesel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes it had PCP in it, man. And well, that's how we did our first second drug. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes unintentionally. Jesus right? Christ. Yo, most of the time unintentionally until the whole room took a fucking bong hit and you were like, okay, now we're melting into our chairs. Here it goes. (laughs) So what did you, you and Liz, did you meet before you started uh, mile high or did you guys start it after or? Yeah. I mean, we're like an anomaly. We've been together 17 years. So we met in the Pacific Northwest and I was studying sustainable agriculture. We got into mushroom foraging some of like my best friends went on to run and still do actually a stamets lab at fungi perfecti and run the host defense line some of that stuff and so it was just like mushrooms were everywhere uh we went to school at the evergreen state college which you know michael bug used to teach at and uh you know stamets is an alumni of and so it was just kind of like in your face plus it's just prolific as far as hunting and eating and whatever right um so we kind of got turned on there and then i was continuing work with a bunch of different kind of agricultural projects and then just kind of getting i don't know quarter life crisis and a friend of mine offered me a job down the islands and he was like do you want to be a kayak guide and i was like Sure. <laughs> so we just took off for a couple <laughs> years and just said fuck it and lived down in the Virgin Islands. And uh, this is you, know, you and Liz. Liz and I, the, the entirety of the uh, the journey. Uh, yeah. And so when okay. we moved back, I started working in the cannabis industry, and then I worked for Denver Urban Gardens, and we were just kind of trying to figure out like 
what to do as far as a venture. And yeah, we're like, we should grow mushrooms. Was it established that you guys like, right. Was it established that you guys like wanted to start a business or or were you entrepreneurs from like the get go or did it seem sort of foreign to try to do it, do it on your own? Well, I guess I'm lapsing a little bit. When we first came back, uh, we had some extra seed cash and it was right before the housing market exploded in Denver. We bought an old Victorian and spent a year and a half completely rebuilding it. We ripped off an old edition, added a 1200 square foot edition, took everything down to the studs, rewired everything, plumbing, just like brand new pretty much in the end with like an old 1890s shell. And we're like, this is too much house. We'll never fill this house. Uh, we should sell this and the market was booming. And then, so we sold it and then we had some seed capital to like start something. And Liz was like, let's grow mushrooms. I was like, I don't know how to grow mushrooms. She's like, we can figure it out. I was like, I think we can too. And you know, here we are, what, seven years later in the journey. (laughs) Wait, back up. What do you, so she just said, uh, she just said, do you think we should grow some mushrooms? That's the whole start of it. How did she, how did she, (laughs) what was the beginning of that? Well, you know, it's funny because when we were in college, we maybe peddled a little bit in illicit herbs and mushrooms and uh, sure, sure. and uh, she said, wouldn't it be funny if we legitimately grew legal herbs and legal mushrooms? It would be super ironic, wouldn't it? And I was like, yeah, you know, I looked into like the basil market and I was like, I don't think there's room for me to jump in on that. I looked in the mushroom market. I was like, there's nobody <laughs> doing that here. Like literally nobody doing that here. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, well. We're like builders more than anything, you know. Like I, I went to school for agriculture. Yeah. Like I believe in sustainable agriculture, and uh, it's definitely where a huge part of my passion lies. But like I like systems and building shit, and uh, mushrooms were like a perfect melding of those things because it kind of forces you to be good at at least a little bit of everything, um, or you yeah. won't make it. And uh, so you certainly which, won't, man. I mean, or you will now. It's kind of up in the air. You can buy everything in now and start a mushroom farm out of nothing. You know, it's very it is weird. True. I mean, right now, actually, during the off season, I mean, we shut down seasonally um, because yeah. we never really made the dollars made make sense in the winter time. Uh, but you know, like I'm outfitting a shipping container for uh, a ranch up in the higher country than us. It's just like a plug and play thing, like yep. top of line sensors, built in radiant floors, like super, super nice kitted out. And, you know, like they full blown said, you know, we don't ever want to do the back end. We just want to bring in blocks. We just, uh, you know, you actually sold some to those guys recently. I told them to order from you guys kind of while we were tinkering around with some stuff. And, uh, um, who's this? uh, Sandy with Nap Ranch. Sandy story. She worked mainly with Kelsey. Oh, cool. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I was just kind of pointing her and they have got like a booming microgreens business and, um, yeah, you know, for us, it was just kind of a cool way for us to 
do something in the off season, continue to tinker around. That way I can be close to the babe and, and everything and not be in full blown mushroom grind. Um, from the very beginning, yeah. we said, you know, the one thing I like about agriculture is there is a winter and you fix everything that broke and, and all that, you know I mean? And sleep a little bit. Um, and, yeah, go to a movie <laughs> or maybe not right? anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. Something yeah. besides trim a thousand shiitakes and pressure wash rooms and <laughs> the whole grind. Um, and you know, everyone's like, you could go year round. And I was like, yeah, I fucking know. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm just yeah. not, you know? Um, you know, we just hustle super That's hard. That's good. It's smart. Yeah. I mean, it works yeah, for no, us. It's, it's just, it's so smart to like, uh, figure that out, man. Well, I think it works for like, I can think of a handful of farms when we first started supplying farms with just substrate who were only seasonal and they were mostly like in warmer climates. And I think you guys were the first ones that I noted that were in a cooler climate and it just made sense for you to not have to like hustle through it. Um, so it's, it's an interesting thing to have been from that block supplier side and see the variations and the ideals that farms go through to justify like not being a workaholic or not working themselves so far into the fucking ground that they just, they don't want to keep going because eventually everybody hits that fucking wall. Right. <laughs> so no if you doubt. know, it's coming. You can be like, nah. Yeah. I mean, we're maniacs anyway. We're gluttons for punishment. We still build in the winter. We still do all sorts of shit. And you know, where we live, sometimes we'll get like a four foot dump, right? The idea of like moving the skitter in with a bunch of sawdust to try to mix it. It was like, that sounds like a nightmare. Plus, you know, for yeah. us, we've really targeted CSA models. We've targeted, uh, you know, farmers markets. You know, we do work with some restaurants and kind of, it was kind of a blessing actually when the pandemic hit because we had all this stuff that was slotted for restaurant production and uh it pretty much like evaporated overnight and then i started crunching the numbers and i was like you know i offer pretty generous terms with established clients you know net 30 i got net 15 for everybody new but then you're working with these restaurants and sometimes it's like 45 days later i haven't gotten paid yet and so yeah Instead of having 30 or 40 grand large out, we are like, we should just refocus that energy and beef up these models that are working right now. And if restaurants do want to buy mushrooms from us, it's COD and, you know, maybe $4 off uh, retail price. That's it. That we're not, we're not doing anything extra for you. Like we appreciate the work you do, but I felt like, in the beginning, I don't know if it was like status or feeling like I had to do it a certain way, but I was like, we need to target the restaurants. You know, yeah. there's this booming restaurant scene in Denver. We should be totally doing this. And then I realized we were working for pennies and I was like, this is dumb. Um, can we do yeah. this better? So the pandemic actually helped us tighten the belt a little bit and go, this is not the way forward, at least the way we were doing it. So yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, that's an interesting timeline, man. It's like every farm kind of figures out that they have to diversify their you know, supply chain, but also their selling markets too. Because <clears throat> I don't know how many farms have gone through that where they realize the simple fact that 
uh, restaurants in general only make money when they sell <laughs> and they're no longer the owners of the restaurant. You know, you don't right. make massive cash unless you're some like fantastically like well supported and, and famous restaurant, you know, so the cash is always tight and that's where it's, it's cutthroat. You just get paid or get fucked, you know? Well, and you know, the thing is, we wanted to be like semi-competitive with Pennsylvania and California and, you know, with DIA being here, people can get stuff shipped in. And it was like, so trying to keep up with the Joneses, but like, you know, obviously our cost of production is totally different. And so it took us a while to realize that, you know, and just say, hey, you know, if you want our stuff, it costs X. I'm not really budging on anything. Uh, we'd love to work with you, but it's okay if we don't. And, um, yeah, just kind of like a liberating feeling in the end, you know, just because everything else has partially because of the pandemic, but also just because year after year, I feel like we do a better job for the, you know, the CSAs and the other markets that we do. And so we, we grow every year in the, in those venues. And so it was just kind of being usurped from the restaurant, uh, kind of black hole that happened early on. And I was like, we shouldn't go back the other way. Uh, yeah. No, that's smart, dude. Cause it really is a black hole. Like at the end of the day, especially if you see it coming and you test your like patience for relationships too, in terms of like, you got to get paid to pay the bills to keep growing, you know, well, and that's the, worst the hardest part, part you, about scaling up. The restaurants sold the mushrooms two days after you gave it to them, but I have to wait 40 right. days to get paid. I'm like, there's no interaction I want to be a part of that works like that. Right. Yeah. Unless yeah. I'm making a huge no, big. Yeah. Yeah. We struck the ground with like the block thing and it's a hard thing to explain to new people coming into it, but you know, we've had so many farms that have just, you know, this, this weird, like mycological, I'm going to start a mushroom farm, boom, just occurred and it just keeps growing and most farms are understanding of it now, but we still have the outliers. It's like, look, we, it's, it's pretty much COD. We're doing half of the production for you. We have to buy in all the raw materials. We have to hire all the labor, do all the production, get the spawn, everything. And, uh, and then it gets to you and then you have to do the other side, you know? So it's, it's looking at the industry when it's split up like that. And, uh, and as soon as you have it under one roof, you realize that it's threefold now, especially if you're doing spawn, you're doing block production and fruiting, you have that much more overhead to really manage and understand the the breakdown of, and that's, that's the biggest, biggest like pressure point when it comes to trying to figure out how to keep your business afloat cash flow wise. Oh, hundred percent. You know, now we're finally at the point where we're actually doing everything start to finish ourselves again. You know, we're still supplementing here and there. You know, I bring in spawn from you guys sometimes or TR. Yeah. But at this point with the autoclave running, we're back to yeah. the sport store model, but like at our larger scale at this point. And, you know, yeah. it definitely a lot, but seven years later, I feel like we have the numbers. We know what, the actual cash flow needs to be. We know how far in the hole we can go in the beginning of the season. And, you know, especially targeting the CSA models and like true CSAs where they pay in June, you know, we start ramping up March and April. And then basically into May, beginning of June, we're in the hole. But then, you know, 
Yeah. But you say 30% of the revenue we're going to generate for the year, maybe a little bit more, comes in all at once. And that's huge. Yeah. I mean, we looked into farm service agency loans and, and you know, term operating loans, that kind of stuff. And, you know, there are decent rates, but it was like just figuring out how much money you needed to get going every year, especially since we put the brakes on in the winter. Right. So there's no like carryover, it's just like a dead stop to, you know, just a dead start. Right. Yeah. To a hard um, start again. Right. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we've yeah, that's a, a fucking yeah. scary thing, man, but it's, it seems like it's working and that's sort of that model that I'm intrigued by. Cause I don't think a lot of people are, you either do it by default or, uh, you realize that if you stop, you're kind of done. It's, it's like the adage of, you know, if you don't go to college right out of high school, you're never going to go sort of thing. And it's a total, like, you know, misfire of a fact. And it's not really a fact at that level. You realize that you can stop and you can start and it probably gives you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a complete like handle on the situation to know what it is to keep going and what it is to stop, what it is to restart. Oh yeah. I mean, atrophy is a bitch, no doubt. I mean, but like I said, we never really stop, stop. We just stop production, right? You know, it's just like, what are we doing next season? You know, going through all the taxes, all the spreadsheets, all the numbers, making sure that we're like staying lean. Um, And then just like, with that pause, you know, I love like the European model where people like have like a month or plus to just take off and be with their family and go for walks and think because you can't think when yeah. you're going a billion miles a minute, you know, you just, you just do what's yeah. in front of you, um, which might lead you off a cliff. Yeah. And so having that pause, that reflection point is like super important for our business, mental health, everything um you know and like i'm sure yeah, it's a I mean, different with you guys in the sense that you know you have a little bit bigger staff you might be able to pull away for the yeah. weekends and that kind of thing and if you can build that into your model great you know but if it's just a two-man three-man op it's definitely super yeah. important to build that space for yourself yeah, it really is, man. And it, it, it turns into this survival thing because I've definitely seen the burnouts and um, like Eric uh, Milligan was one of them. I, he hadn't taken a vacation until this year and he took like a month and a half off. And I think still he got super stir crazy and ended up like getting back into it more early. But I was stoked, man. When he came to record that podcast this winter, he just was like, he's like, I got to make a decision and I just have to decide to like hold back for a while. And this is like in the, you know, in the darker days of the beginning of the pandemic and he did it. And it, I think it did him a world of wonder because it allows you to reanalyze. And, and I remember, I feel like it was a conversation I had with TR and like the early Joey Schlegel CMGN days, or maybe it was a post that he made, but he references like, you can't, create the momentum of a business. If you're worried about everything being perfect, you just have to create a fucking shit storm and just go, 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 go and ignore the small stuff. That's like the little piles that are going to be around and the little construction material, you know, areas. And then eventually you catch up with it. And I think that works for a while. And then all of a sudden you realize at a bigger scale, you have to have people to worry about those little piles that get too big, you know, and the stupid construction debris or the OSHA issues or whatever it is. And then it's a beast and you can't ever shut the fucker off, you know, (laughs) it gets scary. No, I can imagine. I mean, 
for us because you know we built the boiler room ourselves. We did all this stuff. It was like there's all this time, and we did that in the winter, pretty much every year. That's like when we would tackle like yeah. the next big thing. Like this year, it's air handling. You know, we're putting in some two massive swamp cooler systems and big louvered vents, and um, just because. You know, I guess it's true in all uh, things mushroom related is once you have a few successes and you realize that this has created its own problem, you know, and incubating totally. thousands of blocks in the barn in the summer before when we weren't incubating, really, it wasn't heat wasn't such an issue. Right. And then you have all these blocks and then you got the boiler running and all this. And it's like we need an air handling system like what what are we thinking you know maybe we should have done that first but yeah whatever you know you, you, you figure right. it out you live and you learn and um that's so true we're, we're getting all these products done and, and we lived in the barn uh that we've been growing the mushrooms and i mean we cohabitated with them for like two and a half years and so yeah. to, so you are like, generally yeah. insane <laughs> yeah no for sure yeah. <laughs> to leave that relationship is liberating, right? Because I bet I, I now live a hundred yards away and I can go visit the mushrooms and it's a little bit different than having fucking roommates. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. Especially when the roommates create too much CO2, you know, and then <laughs> right? you're just all spaced out all the fucking time. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's huge, man. It's, uh, being too surrounded like that, uh, it, it breaks your brain after a while, which is like why there's a motorcycle shop at our farm. It's why there's people coming in doing different things, even through the pandemic, just to create some like break and the redundant production scale sort of style of this, you know, an approach to this thing. And, uh, and it makes for a little bit more of an easygoing crew staff and, and then business model in general. So we're not all burnt out, but yeah, it's, it's a challenge no matter what. So you guys, you were living at the farm, but what's the beginning of this? What was the first thing that you guys, you know, invested in? How did you get rolling and sort of, uh, create your, your idealistic version of a, yeah, this is working. We can actually do this. Well, so we started out of our house, also like maniacs. I like cut a bunch of holes in the floor, put floor drains in, turned random rooms into fruiting chambers, like just got buck wild with it. And then it like squeezed us pretty much out of the house. And then I was like, you know, I'd seen the shipping container model, um, you know, just like those old how to grow mushroom videos and you seen these different people that are using shipping containers and it was like, all right, well we can get some shipping containers. We'll plop them in the backyard. And we were like the house right next to sports authority field where the Broncos play. So we were pretty prominent in Denver. And, um, I'd called to see if I could get like a permit to do it. And they said, you know, it's kind of a gray area. We don't really have a way to legally permit them. We know they're all over the city. Uh, you know, basically you'll find out if you have a shitty neighbor. So we plopped these <laughs> containers yeah. in the backyard, ripped down the fence, and like a week and a half went by, nothing. I'm like, all right, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Two weeks later, a cease and desist from the city. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Um, so 
I kind of did a little snooping around, figured out who it was. I was like, okay, uh, well, what do we do next? And basically, I re- realized that there was this very bureaucratic board of appeals um, process that we could go through. Uh, so I guess it's board of adjustments, I believe. And what yeah. should have been like a two-week grace period, we turned into two and a half years of putting the, keeping them in the backyard, uh, going to these hearings, showing them we were making progress. <laughs> <laughs> we bought, and it forced our hand to buy the land that we're currently at. Uh, but it gave me a chance to outfit them, get things rolling, yeah. uh, get production up a little bit. And then uh, that's kind of where we first met you guys. You guys were moving facilities and you're like, offloading a bunch of shiitake super cheap and yeah we grabbed some of them and they performed well and i had most of the rest of my stuff for the season we were getting close to the end of our season all lined out and uh i took one vacation major faux pas in the mushroom world take a vacation during season and the guy that was the guy that was tending them our first employee you know, the humidistat goes out, right? So it's just constantly humidifying. The mushrooms are sopping wet. And then he ran out <laughs> of blocks, or not blocks, boxes to put the mushrooms in. And so he went to the Home Depot and was literally putting like 20 pounds of wet oysters into Home Depot boxes, like moving boxes, right? As I came back oh from vacation God. with just like this like wet mushroom trash. And I was like, holy shit. And so, and then he had let a bunch of other stuff just go sideways. I was like, you gotta be shitting me. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot of farms that have the same and, exact and story. I was like, do you guys have extra blocks? And he's like, yeah, we got extra blocks. So that's when I first brought in kind of like a diverse yeah. mix from you guys. And then, uh, yep. as we built out the barn up here, so as we were approaching our deadline with the, with the city to move the containers, we had bought this land. We had figured out like, we're going to put up a steel building, designed it, all that. And then that winter we built the building and the fruiting rooms. Um, and then moved the shipping containers up here. And then basically for those first two years, you know, we were bringing in stuff from you guys and a little bit of production on our own, but mainly just like filling the fruiting rooms. You know, we built this big facility without adequate uh, sterilization equipment, incubation space built out or any of that stuff. It was just like maximize these rooms output. And, you know, we did that for a number of years and, you know, it was the train wheels we really needed. Uh, there was no way we were going to get the autoclave online ourselves. There was no way we were going to keep on tinkering around uh, on the on the property uh, if we were doing all of those yeah. levels of production at that time. And so it's been kind of nice now where I'm like finally at the point where it's like everything's working. I'm basically fine-tuning little things, adding in a little extra here and there. And I've kind of had like a... Yeah mushroom emotional renaissance in the sense that I'm like, I'm feeling it all over again. I'm like listening to your podcast. I'm listening to the mushroom hour. I'm just listening to like, you know, random tidbits. I'm, I'm like excited again, which is kind of nice. I think it's, yeah. I, think I don't live here anymore. So. 
Dude, I mean, that's you You really need that to sort of make it through a, a day sometimes, especially when you've been in it for a while. And I think that was why I wanted to start this podcast. And, and a few people suggested it to me and I was like, man, this is going to be the only thing that's going to keep me sane. So sure, because, you know, nobody I, I'm like. I'm sure a lot of people have this story, but I was planning to just travel and visit farms, uh, right before the pandemic happened. And it was just like, that's the goal. We're just going to go see what everybody's up to, see what they need, see what they're interested in and sort of spend the year cultivating the next move. And, uh, and it just didn't happen that way. So this thing, it, it's allowed me to actually like every time I record one of these, I'm like, Oh man. All right. So like everybody's still sort of into this and I'll, I'll get an email. Like I got an email from a dude today who was like, Oh man, the, the buzz on the shroomery about your podcast is far out. And I was like, Jesus, really? Like, I, I mean, I'm not going on the shroomery to see what people are talking about. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, it got shut down. You should join our discord and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, man, everybody is, filtering into these weird little enclaves of a digital sphere of how to communicate, how to keep in touch, how to keep innovating, keep growing. And the, the shroom thing just keeps going. It's unreal. It's yeah, just, I mean, it it's like, fascinating. So it keeps me pumped if I think about it. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it was nearly impossible for any of us to foresee the increase in popularity, just general information, just that just emerged kind of all at once. You know, it's like one of our clients, a super good friend, uh, him and his dad and Gary Linkoff all started the Telluride Mushroom Festival now, what, some 40 some odd years ago. And they've become close friends, yeah. you know, just talking with him. And he's just like, we were just straight outcasts. Like nobody, like you talking about <laughs> mushrooms, like you're fucking weird, you know? Where now I get people at the <laughs> farmer's market talking, you know, more shit than I know about the beta glucans and, and whatnot. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You sound like you know what you're talking about. Take yeah. You know? It turns around, man. And then you realize, like, you're actually learning from some of the people, you know, and you're like, holy shit. It's amazing. We I've told the story a million times, but we had this, like, 11-year-old girl and her dad come in. And uh, I, like, looked up at her dad and I, I basically said... Uh, can I help you? And he was, he just sort of looked down at his daughter who's like fucking three foot and whatever. And she just goes, yeah, I just need some oyster spawn to inoculate my straw substrate. And I was just like, what in the fuck? <laughs> I was like blown away. You know, and like not only with the, like just the general verbiage, but just this like little kid is just like, is just jamming on the dream and, and trying to grow stuff. That's so far out for like my perception of a kid getting into this stuff. And I'm sure like you having a daughter now, like you think about this stuff, like it's going to matter more and more as time goes on that people do stick to these patterns and paths and, and learn to sort of work within these, you know, nice mellow systems of food production, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's truly amazing. You know, at this point, we've kind of developed some, some nice lines with folks where it's like, we actually are back to work with some woodworkers and arborists. And there's like a new group of folks cool. that do like urban harvesting that are collecting sawdust for us and stuff. And just, and then they're aware of it cause they're tossing it or whatever, you know, throwing it in a pile right. in the backyard, letting it become soil, but being able to grab at least uh, one food crop rotation through it. Um, you know, we're actually playing around with doing some agaricus this year, just with some of our nice. comps. 
because we've we've never sold the compost and we we've got more agricultural endeavors beyond the mushrooms you know we got a hundred cider apple trees we grow a bunch of potatoes and garlic i'm putting in a couple hundred raspberry plants this year we got grant funding to put in a big high tunnel greenhouse um through the equip program the usda yes program and uh so selling the compost seems short-sighted to me always because it's so awesome, you know, and we, we put a bunch of red wigglers in the pile, you know, early on, yeah. and, you know, come springtime, you just take a shovel full and there's hundreds in there. Um, yeah. And so, and for where we're at bringing up material is just so cost prohibitive. So we've always just done it and we're like, well, why not try to do a secondary crop out of it? And I know a couple of people doing it. Yeah. Uh, Hazel Dell up above us, up in Fort Collins, they do it. And, um, They're still yeah, kicking, I don't know huh? Yeah, CMGN that do it, but it seems like it's a, it's something that people have done at exotic farms where they just do yeah. like a secondary run on the agaricus. So why not? Yeah, I think it's it's harder and harder to find that like compost, and it's it's harder and harder to set up the things that you don't really know much about that are the the industry norm and <clears throat> people just like generally don't care about agaricus, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that's because of the diversity of other species that all cultivate in the same manner. And then you take the shit mushrooms and it's, you know, just such a few variety and a similar taste that people are like, meh. But once you've been doing the, the, you know, gourmet thing a while, it's like, why not? You know? It's cool. Well, for sure. I mean, we get lots of people that ask us about it too. I mean, they would buy the shiitake and the buttons if we had them, you know? Um, yeah. So plus it's just something I haven't done. Right. It's always nice to tinker. Uh, it's yeah. Kind of, you know, I've, I've toured like Ostrom's out in Lacey, Washington. You know, I think they do a quarter of a million pounds a week uh, of just yeah. the whites. Right. And like looking at a facility like that and they're all phasing set up and, and just like what it takes to yeah. run on that scale. And they're getting a buck 25 a pound wholesale, at least when I was out there. And you're like, Damn. That's unreal. you know, for, for what the size of that facility is like refrigerated trucks in and out pretty much day and night. And you're like a buck 25. Yeah. Hot damn. So I'm not trying to compete. But you realize with like you have to be at that scale. No, oh. no, no. Why that'd be a fool's errand, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. This is the fastest way to lose money around. Um, but, you know, it for is. us... It's, it's a like, very popular I, way to lose money. <laughs> <laughs> right? Totally. And, uh, you know, so just playing around with new stuff. Uh, I'm going to do some outdoor beds with some wine caps and just, I don't know, just play around, like I said, getting excited all over again. And now we finally got yeah. a lot of the production side, at least semi-dialed in. I'm currently knocking on wood. Um, but yeah. I've got a good routine, pretty happy with the flow of the space and, um, yeah, yeah. Just kind of, kind of stoked to How, see what the next year or two brings. Yeah, man. I mean, you guys have gotten to that scale where I think it, it becomes predominantly exciting because you have the, the flow and the mechanisms down and you've got what, how big is your retort now? How many blocks can you jam out in one of those? So ones? I do... 250 10 pounders a run. Um, yep. And that, that seems to be kind of like the sweet spot. I could, 
probably cram a little bit more, but I've kind of opted on the non-cramming end of things. Um, and that whole process Smart. was you know, like the retort from 1956. It's number like 430 of all pressure vessels registered with the national board. So it was like bringing back oh. to life a relic and uh, got real beefy 18 horse um, right boiler that's kind of paired with it and got a little extra accoutrement that probably is overkill, but it was fun putting together and uh, yeah, just like welding the carts back together, putting on brand new casters. I mean, when we bought it, the carts had like square casters, like it <laughs> just been like rusted out and just, they were done um, to a pulp. Yeah. yeah man. You know? And just like seeing it alive and running and cranking and just like, it feels good. Cause it sat outside for a couple years after we bought it. We were just like, okay, we know this is the next step, but how the fuck do we do it? And, um, yeah, you know, when we were digging the foundation for the house, I had a 52,000 pound track hoe up at the house and I was like, this is the time we're going to swing that bitch into the barn. And it was like a 9,000 pound wrecking ball, right? You're like, I was like within inches of each side of the garage bay. Like, I hope <laughs> I don't take this bitch out. Um, but when we got it in, Liz is in the skid steer inside the barn, pulling it into place. I'm kind of flicking the bucket, getting it in. And then, you know, yeah. that still took us like another year to figure out like all the state boiler requirements and like what they were going to want to see. Cause you know, we, we did everything permitted and yep. it just took a while just to cross the T's and dot the I's and get the capital to do it. <clears throat> you know, all that fun it stuff. It does, man. And you want to be safe about it too. And I think that's often overlooked. There's so many like clandestine mycologists in this weird small and big world and they just don't give a fuck but you want to be smart you don't want to kill a whole town so <laughs> well, and since i've been in the game i've seen a number of them at least burn partially to the ground if not all the way to the ground uh so it's totally. it's important that you know your shit uh take your time yeah. this is a public service announcement take your time you know <laughs> watching one video on youtube does not make you an expert um but no dude nice. and everybody learns that way Oh, right. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Use YouTube, but just watch more than yeah. one video. Right, right. <laughs> watch like 10 and then build your whole farm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, for us, what I was stoked on, which has worked out pretty good for us, is, you know, for us, atmospheric sterilization wasn't going to work because we're at 8,200 feet. Water boils at like 196 right. degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and. Yeah. So we knew we were going to have to do some sort of larger pressure vessel. And what we opted to do too was a low pressure system on the boiler, which I couldn't be like happier with. Just I've known people that have had issues with regulators, you know, going from high pressure to, to their vessels and stuff. And the, the boiler yeah. itself operates as the regulator, right? So when it hits 15, it basically kicks off 14 and a half kicks on just kind of, it's that sweet spot of just kind of coasting there. And, uh, that's great. In, in Colorado, you don't need a boiler operator's license if you're using a low pressure system. Yep. So that was sure. kind of like the, the beauty, you know, we still have to get a, the firebox inspected once a year. Uh, but yeah, just the county requirements, all that stuff's, you know, just one and done. 
So it just kind of feels good. To, yeah, like, as you should, like, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, it's like the, the Sioux that we have too. That thing, you know, like blew out the back of the actual thing. And, uh, and it just, you know, whatever it was, the fire retardant against the, uh, uh, against the back thing there just like slowly leaked away from like a slow drip, I guess, from, uh, one of the fire tubes and you don't know. And like, if we didn't catch that and like see it and like see it acting weird, you know, that's a fucking meltdown. It would have been terrible. So no, getting that sure. stuff inspected is huge, man. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'm like, I can identify with some of the libertarian ideals, but at the same time, like, there are some rules in place, <laughs> so fucktards can't be total fucktards. Yeah, and they will, too, if they get the chance, so. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, so, you know, it's been just, like, such a awesome journey, and I want to give major shout-out to you, Mark, and just like other folks that have kind of helped guide the way, you know, in the CMGN, I think I'm more of a sideliner, but you know, we've had a lot of those guys that are traveling through Denver up and just kind of, I'm more of like a one-on-one guy in the end, you know, where I, I'm not like a pissing yeah. contact internet dude. It's just not really a <laughs> great allocation of my time. And I'll get on there if something's like, no, nah, yeah, I'll get on there if something's like super funny or something, but yeah, I can't, the fights and like all of the aggravation. I mean, you just have to go on mushroom growing on Facebook, that giant 190 odd thousand people group and just see people fucking losing it at one another. And you're like, there goes my morning. I'm just going to turn my phone off now and call it a day. (laughs) Like Jesus. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. people love to fight, man. The internet is a hostile place, right? You know, you can, (laughs) that's why it's just like, you know, I can sideline it, you know, and, and then jump in occasionally or private message somebody. Yeah. But I'd rather do that than just get into this fucking pissing contest. Especially, you know, the mushroom <laughs> industry is so male dominated. It's just a bunch of egos just clashing sometimes. And you're like, this is the oh, only yeah. way. Well, it's not the only way. Well, it is the only fucking way, you know? It's just right, right. exhausting. Yeah. How does that, uh, how does that speak to like Liz being in it? How is her, uh, how does her? How does she feel her role is in the whole mushroom gamut? Does she not give a shit, or does she just like straight up just wants to grow stuff and and keep building stuff and doing what you guys are doing? I would say more of that 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 latter. You know, I mean, she adds like the artistic touch. You know, the the barn is beautiful. Yeah. You know, we've got like custom wood cladding around the retort door. We've got you know like it's. Not yeah, real. I saw that. <laughs> Copper paneling in there. It's like, we, like all oh, the lighting is legit. Like, it's definitely yeah. a woman's touch, right? You know, it's you leave a dude in there. It's just yeah. OSB, maybe painted, maybe not. Some poly dropped with some duct Probably tape. Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, our bathroom is you just go shit in that bucket over there and then throw it out <laughs> back. So have that, bud. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. The the smartest thing we ever did was like hire more women around Cap and Stem because we were just getting out of hand. Like it was getting to be like a fucking jailhouse in here. It was crazy. No offense to any of my employees. They're great, but you need that balance, you know? Like if you don't balance out the sexes, you have just utter chaos and like <laughs> it's not well, good. It's like- it's like going to a freight terminal, you know, it's the, it's the civilian jail-esque vibe that happens because it's just dudes, just dudes for days, yeah. right? Nobody's yeah. cleaned that toilet it's bad news. Months, right? Don't touch anything. 
And yeah, you guys exactly. there, it's just like, come on, guys, like get it together, right? And we respond well yeah. to that in the end, you know. It's like some dude tells you to go clean the toilet, you're like, yeah, you want to fight? Some lady's like, all right, you yeah, know, it's disgusting in there. Yeah, fine. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. No, it's that's the that's the way it should be, man. I don't know. There's a it's a fine line for some people and it's a balance for others, but you know, like that's where uh Frankie, my late wife there, was so like integral into like pushing into those female worlds that were so male dominated industry wise when it was motorcycle worlds or mushroom worlds or whatever. And it's fun, I think, on some level for women to be in those environments because they are, they're stressing that like the norm has to change and you don't have to be just some curmudgeon fucking asshole dude. You can be respectful and you can be something other than just the stereotypical farmer dude or mechanic dude or dude who can't clean a fucking bathroom dude. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, and, and like Liz turns heads, you know, I mean, she's the first one in the Bobcat. She, you know, she's proficient with every set of tools we got she does all of that but then you know at the farmer's market she's like the bubbly loving presence and i'm like in the back slinging mushrooms all day like you want to talk to me come to the side let's do this let's do this you know and uh it's it's definitely a nice balance i mean we've worked together the vast majority of those 17 years right whether it was in you know home construction or we were both you know working in ecotourism together we've just done so much uh the two of us yeah we're very well balanced as far as you know we know the next step we're very intuitive of like oh you need to do that you need to do that we don't even have to talk about it and with a business partner you kind of need somebody to know the next step while you're working on something, you know, and that's always been my hardest part with employees is yeah. the patience level of somebody who hasn't worked with me for so long, who doesn't know exactly how to handle the next thing. And I'm going to have to stop and explain yeah. and, and go through that. And, um, and so, you know, it's going to be interesting just because I'm losing some degree of my partner in the business business as she's transitioning into kind of more mom, you know, roles for our household. But, you know, she's still just super integral into it and just making sure I'm checking my emails and making sure stuff's ordered and all that. It's definitely, it's definitely a multi-person task and she's definitely still in it. But, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I wouldn't have it. Yeah, but it's way. gotta be slightly scary, right? It's gotta be like, shit, you're, you're, it is a huge life change, not only to have a kid, but to have those parental sort of roles, like, uh, all of a sudden there, like at a turn of a dime, you have to figure out how to balance that life out. And that can be to the detriment of a lot of people. But I feel like if you've had that basis for like a really solid relationship, then you're good. You'll figure it out. You know? Well, and for us, you know, we talked about this a lot leading up into this season and I dropped my Saturday farmer's market that I've been doing for the last five years. Um, and there's like a multitude of reasons. Uh, it did not perform very well during the pandemic where everything else was up quite a bit. And it was just, you know, we worked Saturday and Sunday at the markets. 
and then Monday through Friday at the farm. And yeah. you know, there's a period of time, usually six to eight months, where it's seven days a week, nonstop. You know, mornings start at four or five for me, and they go till dinner. And then sometimes I'm still tinkering with shit after dinner. And I was like, you know, this is not sustainable. And so we, we no. dropped that Saturday market this year just so no matter what, we're like, we're going for a hike. You know, we're doing family stuff because if not, it's really easy just to get wrapped up in the center of the cyclone and you just keep cruising. Yeah. Um, and so I feel really good yeah, about well, that. Yeah, well, this industry, I was just going to say this industry attracts that personality and that's that's a that's a huge step man so kudos to you for actually like recognizing that you actually have to fucking change for the better of your brain and body and and you know human as a family you know like that's that's huge it's very hard i don't know that i could do it you know like i haven't been faced with it yet but it's uh like i had to do it you know and frankie got sick but to a lesser degree because I'm still like this obsessive figure. And like you're saying, if you have a business partner versus a life partner who is your business partner, you, the, the conversations are that much more like you have to work to keep them in line with one another. And if they get out of line, you're like, Oh fuck, you know, we're not seeing shit eye to eye. This is not good. You know? And then you decide to take on the roles that make the most sense for your business, but it doesn't always make the most sense for your lifestyle, which is, it's a fucking tough one to figure out without a doubt. No matter how small you are, you're still going to work seven days a week, you know? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there is some degree of that, that, you know, somebody's got to pick the mushrooms, right? You pick the mushrooms every morning. Right. Um, but I think the, the thing that I've kind of appreciated about listening to some of your podcasts actually and some other stuff yeah. I was taking is there was a period of time where I was like, try to dominate the market, right? At least try to get yeah. a foot into all the good spaces within the city. And then if other market or other competition emerged, then they could create their own venues or help develop other stuff. But like, they weren't going to take any of mine. And I think yeah. I've, chilled out a little bit you know where i'm like it's okay you know there's gonna be more competition you know when we started there was nobody in denver doing what we're doing now there's easily five or six outfits of some size yeah. doing stuff from basement level stuff to people that have small spaces and, and whatnot yeah. and you know i've started to look at it it's like well now we've got the biggest sterilizing system in the city is like well why don't i just befriend these people and say hey you know you're shy on blocks this week whatever like let's do it more like that yeah. than this kind of doggy dog thing because that's exhausting and you know it'll give you anxiety Dude, that's exactly how we got started you know like if if it wasn't for mousem us Norspor, uh all coming up at the same time with eric from new hampshire thrown in the mix and this farm that closed bountiful we, we wouldn't have, it would have been real weird, real fast. And that's just because we never, not one of us just dominated the scene first. It was just like, fuck, we all had our weird specialties. So we really had to figure out a way to, to maneuver around that and not just like force one another out. 
And I think when you can come to that realization, especially in this industry, you realize that there's a beauty in that, unlike most other industries where you are fighting to like keep it. But you know, at the end of the day, this is still food and there's like a million fucking small farms just growing weird crops, you know? And and if you look at it like that, they're not competing with one another. There's still like 18 vendors selling fucking carrots and cabbage and broccoli at a farmer's market and they all make it just fine, you know? Just fine being relative. (laughs) (laughs) They live to farm another day. (laughs) Exactly. Or another season, you know, I mean, they say it for a reason. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things where that decentralization and that just like, and that losing of ultra competitive nature, because, you know, that whole capitalism grow or die, that's what put us into this, terrible periled landscape you know both on a societal level and on an environmental level and it's like can you find a sweet spot and chill or at least find a sweet spot and then work from there uh instead of just yeah you're nodding your way to the top and uh you know i think it maybe came with a little bit of age and a little bit of just like you know getting riled up and see emerging what I've viewed to be competitors for a period of time and going, this is not the way forward, right? Like do not waste your time. Like these are all people that are just like you that were interested (laughs) for the same fucking reasons you were that get bit by the bug. And, uh, there's no reason to, to waste your time in that like aggro state. There's definitely a better solution somewhere else and um that's i really think at this point with the business it's like do what you do already well you know honor all your partnerships your relationships you know do the best you can within all that sphere and then yeah. at this point kind of work for more kind of like allied relationships yeah it's a very tricky dichotomy too when you're when you're forced to sort of entertain both crowds and the mushroom world does have both scenes too, just like uh, the biker world, just like farming world, any of that, these hyper conservative or hyper liberal. And, uh, and I like, I mark it down to like the two quotes that have been like in my head for the past year. And it's, uh, there's just like a Sage Francis line that's, uh, he's like this great white rapper from Providence, Rhode Island, but it's just, I think he says something along, this is just survival for fun coupled and and drastically compared to like the, the crazy Mattis quote that was surfing around like during Trump land era that was, uh, have a plan to kill everybody you meet. You have those two things and they sort of slam up against one another and you can choose a fucking side and you can make a realization and a determination by who you're around, how you react to them. And if your heart basically just says, no, man, this is, this is survival for fun. Like we're a fucking lucky bunch of fucking organisms. Might as well like make the best of it. Why do you need a plan to kill everybody you meet? You know, that's the, not the way forward at all. And that's not like going down some socialistic communistic realm at all, even though those might not be a bad concept. They're just, it's not even that it's just be respectful and help one another grow. Cause at the end of the day, food and hunger rule everything. Nothing else really matters. You know, hundred percent, you know, I mean, we're riding the crest of the wave, right? So it's an interesting, interesting time to be alive and, 
it is not worthwhile spending your time focusing on the negativity or what what doesn't bring you joy right like if it doesn't bring you joy let it go find something yeah. else right it's too short Fuck yeah and so church we're trying to embody and uh you know like i said it's been super interesting for us too in the mushroom world just connecting with more folks like-minded folks people that are doing the stuff and it's i think the tinkerer builder type is the people that really kind of thrive in this world and and that's why yeah. i love again right and just some of the people i've met through there where just like people are doing some random shit like josh saul he came up oh and, yeah and yeah he had met some dude that took like a treadmill and welded up some barrels <laughs> for him and made his tumbler and i'm like fuck yeah <laughs> like this yeah. this is legit right you know like I don't care if you're doing anything, but just like throwing a rock down that thing. It's, it's still cool for cool sake. And if it can make your oh, car yeah, more, man, like, all the better. Right. Yeah. Oh, Josh is an innovative dude, man. He's somebody I, I need to talk to on this podcast. You know, he's, he's come up pretty fast and, and, uh, he's got this very, mellow, consistent personality in the sort of adversity of how quick this game changes. So he's well suited for it. And he seems to like grasp everything he's doing and and he's just jamming on it hard. So I'm, I'm stoked that he's sort of in this world. And, and when you find people who come into this thing and you're just like, they're there and you're excited that they're there you know you're you're going on the right path and you know you're with your people, you know. And it's that's the same thing. It's it's you find these people and they just excite you to keep going. And that's that's the name of the game. That's the only thing that keeps me in it, I swear. <laughs> it's the Vonnegut crevasse, right? You know, you you have that that crevasse, yes. right? <laughs> that just brings it together, right? And and somehow us weird myco yeah. nerds uh, have found one another in this bizarre digital sphere and, and can have that camaraderie. And I mean, it's helpful. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I don't understand how these guys are getting any work done because I look at the threads <laughs> and I'm like, this is hours of your time. Hours, right? Yeah, like, I don't yeah. have hours oh, yeah. to spare, but damn. You know, somebody makes a post and I'll like quickly look at it and then make the judgment call. I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't look at it right now. (laughs) It's just not necessary. But I remember when Bradford was like that, you know, Brad was on there fucking slaying like literature length Bibles of uh, math equations to dilute different versions of, uh, you know, how much airflow needs to go into certain rooms in order to achieve X, Y, and Z. And like, he would just list it all out and people are like, yeah, my brain's not that big. Sorry, Brad. I don't know what to do with that. You know? And I think he like, he peeled back from it, but he was so like, he was cued the fuck into that CMGN world for a long time. And I would pretty much only read his comments and be like, oh yeah. All right. Yeah, he was like our science robot for a minute, you know, like somebody posts something and it's like, boom, the actual stats broken down. Yep. <laughs> like, all right. Yes. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. No, I, I definitely feel the tinker thing. It's, it's definitely 
it's fun to innovate. And you know, like all these mechanisms and machinery are out there now and you can go on Alibaba or find any of these crazy bagging or debagging or harvesting or whatever machines. And yeah, they don't cost a fortune past a certain scale, but it's fun to innovate and it's fun to sort of push your bounds and be able to make these things without a $50,000 piece of equipment. You know, it's like, how can you turn a treadmill or a culvert or, you know, some cheap fucking random timing belts into something, you know? And, and it's, that's very exciting. Cause then that whole thing is the crux of what just made your whole system faster. You know, like most people who reach out and they're like, I just, I need to figure out how to build a tumbler. I'm like, well, Hey, you need to remember that a tumbler for your substrate is merely a placeholder. You still have to shake the fucker <laughs> if you're making a 10 pound bag, but you right. still like, you can make it out of whatever the hell you want, you know, just find a way to make it work. No. And I love that. Like when we lived down on the Island, I had a Jamaican mechanic that kind of taught me everything I know about automotive stuff. And, you know, he grew up outside of Kingston and he, um, you know, he would go into the junkyard and pull stuff from cars that they didn't talk to each other, but he could make them talk to each other. Right. (laughs) Or like he always loved the Toyota parts because the Toyota parts were metal. Right. So he'd just be out there grinding a pulley down or something like that. Right. And I, I loved that. Right. I was like, and he's like, this is how we grew up. Right. You know, yeah, you do the same thing, right? You just not Frankenstein right and make way. it happen, right? And 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 I love yeah. that just like that kind of like street degree knowledge that only comes by doing. You know, you're not going to read a book on how to do yeah. that kind of shit. And uh, yeah, no, it's just it's, no, it's no. cool to be a part of a crew of people that that's like that's kind of what gets them off. Oh yeah. Yeah. That keeps us up at night. That stops us from eating for three days that like, you know, and it's all good in the end, no matter how depraved we look when we come out of those like incubation states of like, I just spent three days building something that fucking failed miserably or it succeeded. You're still better for it. Like on some level. And it's good to find like a partner or business partners who can support that sort of uh degree of insanity. Cause it really, it's necessary, you know? <laughs> No doubt. No, I mean, I remember yeah. when things would first go wrong and you'd just be like, this is the end of the world. Like, should I call somebody? I don't think I can call somebody. <laughs> should I call somebody? And then you get into the meat yeah. and the potatoes of it. And now at this point, like, literally anything could go wrong for the most part. Maybe a few exceptions on the farm. Yeah. And we could fix it. Right? And, and that's the yeah. beautiful thing about building it yourself, too, because it's like I painfully know how this is put together. Like painfully, yeah, Um, yeah, but but it's 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 so awesome, man. Oh, it's so cool. There's nothing like riding around, and this is like a a Max Schaaf, who's a ex uh, pro skateboarder, motorcycle turned motorcycle mechanic. But he said, you know, like uh, there's nothing cooler than like pulling up next to a cop and being like, "Don't pull me over, don't pull me over." But when they do. They go, what is it? And you say a motorcycle and they say, don't be a smart ass. And they don't know that you've had your hands in every single fucking component of this thing. Then they have no idea what it is. And that's just like people who break into the mushroom farm now. And like, we'll have a couple, we haven't had them for a while, knock on wood, but people will bust in here and think it's like a fucking weed grow. And they're like, oh fuck. And they'll leave all the lights on and the doors open pissed. They're like, where's the fucking weed? You know? And you're like, that's right. You came in here and had no idea what you were looking at. <laughs> like no idea. They were just hoping to find something to cut the meth, right? 
They were, dude. I think Maine is the new uh, North Meth Belt, so probably. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I think our biggest thing How is before we got into the mushroom thing, we were like deep in the Burning Man world. And so we were like, Oh yeah. You took a vacation there, right? I mean, we ran like a camp. When, uh, we were supplying blocks for you. Yeah. Yeah. No we ran shit. a camp. Tell me about this. Years. Uh, so, you know, oh. we converted 42 foot, you know, bluebird school bus and did like a flame throwing banana split. I cut like a PT cruiser apart, <laughs> pyrotechnics, light up dance floor. <laughs> Like all that. And, you know, it was yeah. so much fun because it was, it was like an engineering fest, right? And you would go out there, yeah. you'd spend like all year building these wild things. And you'd go into the most harsh climate in the world and watch most of it break and then like limp it back together. And then you'd have like three glory <laughs> days before you had to clean up all your shit and go home. And it was like yeah. a great metaphor for the, the mushroom world. It's like, have these elaborate things, watch them break, fix them, and then call it a day. You know, it's just like, I'm cool with this. This is what I did for a vacation, right? So That's a solid metaphor, right? It means you're never actually taking a fucking vacation. You're just going to Burning Man to do the same thing you've been doing. <laughs> yeah. I've taken a breather from Burning Man. It, it kind of hit an exhaustive point. I was like, after a decade run, I was just like, I need to maybe like go to an all-inclusive resort or something, right? I haven't, I haven't never done that, right? Sounds fun. <laughs> Somebody's bring me margaritas. Like yeah. I said, I'll get fat. Oh, lovely. Hell yeah, yeah. dude. But, yeah, there's there's a fine line there, man. Especially when it comes down to people, because no matter how like uh, innovative and tinker esque like these crazy mushroom people like us are, we're also pretty reclusive and semi hermetic in our like concentration. So when when you get around people, you either go one way or another. I know I do. It just depends on my mood. If I feel like being around people, I'm stoked, you know? And if I don't, I'm like, give me the fuck out of here. I need to go work on something and not talk to anybody. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm definitely, I'm a Gemini. I don't know uh, how much I, credence I put in the astrology, but I definitely have those two sides where it's strong. Like, you know, I'm either yeah. full blown in it to win it jovial, hanging out with everybody or they're like, he's in a funk. And I'm like, it's just mainly, I don't want to see you. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, your face is ugly to me right now. Leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> and I don't mean that mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel it, dude. I feel it. And I think it's, you know, as you get older too and you start a business, you, uh, you get to this point where if it's succeeding and you're still having to work at it, you realize the dedication comes in the day to day and you really just have to like keep your head in the game no matter what. And it's pretty easy to get sidelined and things like, you know, groups of people or Burning Man or any of that stuff. Just it can pull you into a world you don't want to go down. And we all know the the shroomy, crazy acid freaks who took one too many fucking hits and they're never coming back. They just they've gone down the rabbit hole and they'll never come back to reality, you know, and that's a part of that world, too. It's overwhelming. <laughs> oh, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I still enjoy talking to them, but you know they're still crazy. <clears throat> it's okay to so moon. So what's like on the horizon, crazy. though? It's okay to moon like right. crazy. I just don't like have them for Thanksgiving every year. Yeah, don't invite them to your mom's house. You know, <laughs> just, 
There's a time. And yeah, place mom, you. this is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you got away with it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's hard to keep those people away too. And I know there's a bunch of talk on that in CMGN, you know, of how many people are just boisterous about it now, and they'll just walk up at a farmer's market and be like, legitimately, like I just want Cubensis, and they fucking scream it at you, and you're like. <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so there's yeah, like there's a level of like uh, for it. I'm like you know yeah. what's funny is like you know my own personal feelings about it doesn't matter right but like I'm having no. this conversation with somebody let's just say we're having a loose conversation at the farmers market person seems nice mid forties whatever we're having a great <laughs> conversation and they're like do you have any I like of how they're mid forties I'm like. <laughs> Fuck you. You just went down like three tiers on the totem pole, maybe to the bottom. Or it's like you had that great yeah, conversation yeah. with somebody on the, on the bus and you know, you've right. been going good. You've been going good. And at the very end, they're like, do you have a moment to talk about Jesus Christ? And I'm like, son right. of a bitch, this was so good. And you just, <laughs> broke it. you know, so that, yeah, that's, they fuck it up every time. Those people, I know that's how I feel about it. I mean, they're not the fullest low hanging fruit. The the fullest low hanging fruit are usually like the dude with his girlfriend that are like, "Hey, we're the yeah. fun ones," and you're like, "Hmm, right, you're that guy." You just like punch him right in the fucking face, and you're just like, <laughs> "Get out of here." This is why Mark long ago kicked me out of farmers markets because I was such a fucking dick. <clears throat> I swear to God, like people just came up and asked what it was you're like what is this and you're just like why is that the first fucking question out of your mouth it should not be like my response whatsoever but it was and i will just speak my mind so i was just like it's a strawberry i don't know what the fuck you want me to get the fuck away from me mark was like all right you should go <laughs> it's like yeah eric not our pr guy right <laughs> no no yeah, not for fucking dumbasses who are like, you know, playing oogly boogly with every fucking stand at a farmer's market. You're like, dude, just buy it and get the fuck out of my way. You know, if you want to know about it, I'm happy to talk about it. But it's the dumbassery that kills me. People are just like, what is this? You're like, I don't know. And I feel like my <laughs> uh, my tolerance for it got super low when I was in the islands. Because like when people go on vacation, they oh, kind of yeah. lose their mind, right? And I think that Completely. It's just it's like people don't really know the right question to ask, so they just ask a dumb one. <laughs> so that whole like misnomer that yeah. there's not a stupid question, there actually is sure. tons of stupid questions, right? <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> it's like think about it. Like you might need a qualifying statement somewhere in there. Like there's there's a lot of elements that go into asking a good question. Um, it's true. But, well, we've sort of lost our ability to communicate, man. It's it's like it disappeared through COVID entirely, I think. But for you to be able to ask a question and get a good response and have a, a really solid back and forth with somebody without the Jesus speak or the acid freak, you really like you can judge a person instantaneously by how they use what you're saying and bring it back into the conversation. And it's a lost art. You know, and it's it's getting further away if we don't really try to bring it back to how we communicate. It's it's weird. No, for sure. I mean, and you think about the markets and stuff. I mean, some people are actually coming to the market because they're like starved for interaction. You know, and we definitely have yeah. clients that like we know that they're like the high, we're some of the highlight of their weekend, right? You know, and you know we tell them to come late yeah. if they want to chat. You know, we're usually slammed. Uh, most of our markets for the vast yeah. majority of the time, which 
thank God. Uh, I cannot, I'm not one of those idle thumb twiddlers. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, we've developed really great relationships for people through that. And, you know, people are searching for community and, uh, when, you know, for all the dumb asses out there, we've got so many great folks that are patrons, uh, that it does make oh, it yeah. work. And the low hanging totally. fruit is great to make fun of the rest of the day, you know? So, um, you know, <laughs> that's that. what CMGN is for. It's, it's a silver lining, right? Uh, it is, yeah. man. Like Liz had a guy yeah, come I think up to the farmer's market booth this last year in full lace pants, no underwear. We called him Dick Soily for a while. And we're like, dude, you're getting a little too close to the mushrooms, man. Like, just back it up. Just back it up. Dick Doily. You know? Yeah, like, by definition, for all the listeners, that is the, the fucking the low-hanging fruit. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> People are crazy. And when you interact with the general public, you're like, is this for real right now? Am I dreaming? You're like, slap me. I need to, I need to be dreaming right now. What the fuck? Yeah, interfacing with the general public cannot be my favorite, but it does have some silver linings for sure. So, yeah, you get the stories, you know, and the stories are half the battle of uh, of keeping a smile on your face through the chaos. <laughs> What's uh, what? Where are you guys going from here? You you have this facility, and I'm I'm always impressed with farms that sort of make the full move, and they they get to this level of um of realizing that they can do the sport to store thing because it's not easy and it's not necessarily financially solvent right out the get go. And I think a lot of people think that it is and they refuse to look at it in any other realm. But I feel like once you get there, then the world opens up a bit and you realize that your controls sort of lead you to what's next. So what's next? You know, for us, you know, having increased block production, like I was saying earlier, you know, being able to offer that more on the local level, you know, there's enough people that are starting up and beyond just like the home grower kit, somebody might want to take 40 to a hundred blocks at a time. Nothing too crazy. I don't think at least in the beginning. Yeah. But then for us, we kind of want to just like cap mushroom production at X and focus on other stuff. Right. You know, like we're, we've got, yeah. uh, you know, about three acres of cultivatable land on the property. You know, I've got goats and a donkey and some chickens and, you know, just wanted to increase the greater homestead. Um, yeah. And doing logging and just like forest management stuff. And, you know, once again, so I don't get burnt out on just doing mushrooms and then, also kind of trying to build in more of like a holistic approach to land management and just the things that are, that I find fascinating. Right. You know, like I feel like being a lifelong learner is of utmost importance to me. And so, you know, dialing into the facility, there's a, you know, a couple of value added product stuff that we're taking this year beyond the cottage food uh, act, which we've been using sure. predominantly like our dried mushrooms and powders um, and that kind of stuff and having a little bit more like distribution capability, wholesale capability in that realm. And then, uh, you know, just like I said, just uh, tinkering, getting our efficiencies more dialed in here and then having maybe a small bit of time in the, in the summer, the crazy season to 
to go camping or something, you know, like something yeah. more like not mushroom related. Well, you know, depending <laughs> on the time of year, it might be mushroom related. You know, we can get a pretty good porcini season or we might have pretty solid burn morels this year. So we do make time Come to on, get out. So you just that. slid back into it. You're like, I'm going to go camping for mushrooms to get out <laughs> of the mushrooms for mushrooms. It, it, it's a vicious cycle, <laughs> But but walking around slowly yeah. looking at the ground is a little bit different than like yeah. looking at thousands Hunting. of individual <laughs> mushrooms that need to be cleaned up in the walk-in. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I stopped mushroom hunting for a long time and I finally have just started taking my dog out to like this spot <clears throat> we call the Hobbit Lands in uh, Hollowell. It's beautiful. There's like stone bridges and, um, just waterfalls. It's the coolest spot that really not a lot of people know about. And, uh, and I, I've like year after year found mushrooms there almost by accident, but now I'm starting to like make it a pattern again to just go out into the woods and like, just appreciate mushrooms in the wild again. Cause you really do get desensitized to like your entire surroundings when your world becomes, how do I mechanistically make a bigger or larger yield or a, a faster production line or whatever you're turning into your own nature's own worst enemy, you know, at some level. (laughs) So those efficiencies are fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I like to get out. I mean, if we have a good wild forage scene happening for the year, I mean, Colorado's total feast or famine. Right. So, um, as a semi-arid state, you know, last year, like it was like a skunk year for everybody. But the year before that, we had probably one of the biggest bow leaf seasons in the last decade. And like when that happens, you know, we have pickers coming in at the end of the day and we proof in porcini and, you know, grade them into bins and, and that. So that part of it also is a bit fun. I think that was something too, that was super helpful for us as a business. Um, when we were experiencing some crop failure and we were just kind of not sure what to do, uh, to supplement. And we started talking with some pickers and, now we've got a pretty widespread uh, all across the country and a lot of folks locally um, yeah. that we buy from. And that was super helpful and kind of like supplementing it. And that kind of got us back in, into wild picking again. Um, yeah. You know, it's just, it, it's a good thing too, especially for chefs or, or somebody comes to the farmer's market or something like that. And they want to buy the shiitake. They want to buy your lion's mane. And they're like, do you have morels? And if you say no, <laughs> you're probably stupid because, you know, there's plenty of field buyers, there's plenty of pickers, there's plenty of people that are trying to move weight and you just have to kind of get dialed into that network. And, yeah. uh, and so you say, yes, I do have morels. And they say, okay, I'll buy all three. Um, yeah. and that, that's, that's been super All helpful. three morel mushrooms that you have. That's all. Just the three of them right there in the basket. No, I mean, two years <laughs> Point ago. Oh, two pounds. What, 4,000 pounds of morel? So it was definitely Jesus. like a bumper crop year here. Most That's of it was coming awesome. from like down in La Vida. There was a big fire down that yeah. way. You know, just. That's cool. That part too, which is nice because it keeps it away from just the growing, right? Like there's so many facets yeah. of mushrooms. You know, I've been listening to that guy Darren's Mushroom Hour podcast, and we were just yeah, kind of like tiny blurb and uh, in in search of mycotopia book just came out. Uh, 
by Doug. Oh, I haven't read that yet. Yeah. His name, uh, super cool dude. He came up to the farm when he was like, I'm writing a book. I'm like, sweet. Yeah. You know, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, three people say that a year. (laughs) He wrote it for the Atlantic, (laughs) the guardian, I think and stuff. So he had good credentials. And then I've been reading it recently and it's just super fascinating. So, just getting you in touch with one other sphere of the mushroom world. Um, no shit. I'll have to check it out. You should check it out. Yeah. Super cool dude. Super easy to read book. Um, packed full of information. He's definitely linked with the who's who in the mushroom world. And so, yeah, so like that, that forage component of it. And then just, you know, not that we've really pushed into that realm so much for the nutraceutical world, but just like knowing more about it and, just things beyond just straight cultivation because you can get that yeah. tunnel vision and then you're like, I only know this one little bit about this mushroom world and mushroom world's huge. So yeah, um, I think that was huge because, you know, I think at that time we, we had lost enough, maybe like we bought basically a couple hundred pounds of what we thought we were going to have for a week. And I had a buddy that was picking lobsters and he had like 150 pounds of lobsters he was trying to move. And I was like, we're going to buy them and see how this goes. And then subsequently in Colorado, you have to have like a wild certification expert status, which we have. And uh, we've kind of gone down yeah. that road. But that was huge for us. It's just kind of a diversity of stuff and being able to buffer on bad weeks um, and knowing enough people to be like, hey, you know, how are your baskets looking? Right. And and being able to, yeah. to bring in that way, which is, you know, diversity, right? Just make sure you're not standing on well, just that's one like leg. helping to supply places like, yeah, you know, and like when, when places like pop up near you, like nap, um, like I, I have these conversations with farms all the time who have like impending competition and I'm like, well, fucking work with them, man, because it's all you have. And at the end of the day, everybody's so excited to go to their first couple farmers markets with the shit that they produced and they have some sort of like ego bending thing that happens. And then they finally say, okay, I can buy in a little bit. I can introduce wilds. I can do this. It, the customer wants what the customer wants at the end of the day. So like you have to feed that need and simultaneously support your living, you know, and you can't just be like, I only sell teacups that's all i do fuck it <laughs> right that's not how what it about works, coffee nope, yeah. just teacups just teacups. <laughs> just teacups man you fucking put coffee in this mug i'll kill you i'll kill you <laughs> yeah i mean i think yeah. it's really easy terrible example sustainable <laughs> egocentric high horse of you know i only do it this yeah. one way and blah 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 and you know for us we i think drank some of that kool-aid early on um, yeah. maybe fell into that camp or would judge somebody else. And then when I think about it, I'm oh, like, everybody does, you know, this aren't necessarily like huge distributors. I mean, there's a couple contacts we, we buy in from distributors occasionally, but the, the weird network of like random pickers, right. We worked with these Czechoslovakian guys, uh, for quite oh, a yeah. while. And just like, we'd have them up for dinner and just crush beers and talk like, random shit right you know like my life is richer because of you um and yeah. my pocketbook is richer because of you so it's a win-win right <laughs> um 
Absolutely. I'll be curious to see if with all the like crazy, you know, legalization, decriminalization of the psychedelic world, if it'll start to function in that manner, because it's sort of interesting. I think we've all, not all of us, but a, a fair amount of us have been in that world and it's been a boomer slinging sort of introduction into this because a lot of us, that's just where you came from. And then you realize you didn't want to go to jail and you said, okay, I can cultivate other types and not worry about that fact. But I do wonder if that, that will change. You know, I guess it depends on how you legalize it, how you regulate it. It's not food at that point. It gets really weird. Maybe it follows the weed trend. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, I'm curious too. I mean, like, you know, Denver being a hot spot, right, for the decrim thing. And then, you know, yeah. the the night it passed, right? I got like right. 100, 200 emails like, we want to invest in your company. And it's like, I don't think that's <laughs> yeah. what happened, right? It just means you're not going to go to jail if you got your Martha Stewart tent in your fucking apartment, right? right? Like, right, right. You, can, you can chill out a little bit. It's it's not the green rush that cannabis was, but people see it as no. such, um, and they might not be super far off in, in the sense that, like, I think it could push to some degree of therapeutic use in the United States, but it's just sure. such a different animal than than cannabis uh you know i i'm yeah it's not habitual in the same way like like random retail stores where you can buy psilocybin all over denver uh i think that's a can of worms that we don't really want to open up as a society now if you if it was like you won't ever go to jail for possessing or distributing these things right on a person-to-person basis different then that's different right you know um and i think it still keeps a the challenge in it, right? You know, like if it's wide, wide, yeah. widely accessible, I think it can like delegitimize the experience, you know, um, not to hate on yeah. eating mushrooms at a fish show or something, but I think that it's, <laughs> you know, set and setting is very important if you're going to like pull something from it and uh, just getting, you know, hammered on your IPAs and decide to eat a couple chocolate or something. I don't think you're finding God in a sustainable <laughs> format in my mind. You know, not, no. not to be a um, right. Right. What's the uh, Tom Waits line? The devil's just God when he's drunk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I also really enjoy the meme that I saw this morning that said IPA is just, uh, the white man's version of a pumpkin spice latte. I was like, okay, that's accurate. Yeah. That's too funny. Fucking I mean, man, I'm definitely an IPA drinker, you know, unfortunately I burned my palate out super early and, uh, we've yeah, got enough yeah. own or you know, <laughs> breweries. It's just like everybody yeah. has kind of catered to that movement. I think cause we can't taste yeah. anymore. Um, and, you just uh, can slug it down. If it ain't bitter, you know, it's just like, well, what the fuck is that? Um, <laughs> I mean, apparently, you know, this is a, yeah, a historical phenomenon. I mean, when they were using hops to basically preserve the spoiling beer as they were rounding the cape, you know, the, yeah. the British soldiers over there, like, grew a liking to it. And, uh, yeah. and that's kind of how it cemented itself. But I think once you're there, you might never go back. You know? <laughs> no. It it truly is, man. It's one of those things I've never, uh, I've, I've never dipped too far into it. I still drink, you know, the cheapest beer I can find, but 
you know, that's just me. You can drink more of it. That's for sure. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah. You can blow up like a balloon or, you know, stop drinking and whatever, or you just, or you're, you're fucking borderline alcoholic. If you just do too many, uh, IPA nights, it's funny, man, how that can creep up on you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Double dry hop, 10 percenter, you know, you're like, you have three beers. Yes. You're smashed. Yeah. You're so. done. That's true, man. Well, speaking of smashed, I think it, that like brings it back on this like weird level, not to harp at all on the psychedelic thing, but it is interesting that the majority of people that I've talked to about it don't ask for fresh mushrooms anymore. They all ask for like, how do I microdose? How do I find, how do I eat these things without having them have an effect on me? <laughs> Which is like, why don't you just eat some lettuce, man? I don't know what the <laughs> fuck you're, what are you after? That's my opinion about it. I don't I don't really get it, but if you're not going to go full on, what the fuck are you doing here, you know? So it's this interesting like uh diversion from the trippy psychedelic psychonaut into the soccer mom who wants to manage her fucking anxiety with microdosing. I don't understand it quite yet. No, I mean, I wish I had like something to offer or help with somebody cuz you know, we have people that come up and they're like, "I'm a veteran, right? Like I have yeah. PTSD or like I have like extreme anxiety what can i do i'm like you can go on the internet and try to figure out how to grow them yourselves because you live in denver right and you're not going to go to jail for this right but uh, you know i mean like we're based in jefferson (laughs) county like none of those laws apply to us right you know we're 45 minutes from denver um and you know i think more than anything it was a good conversation starter right uh, and that's really from what yeah. I understand a lot of people that worked on like the legal initiatives associated with it and were the same kind of people that were working with the legal initiatives with cannabis was, yeah. you know, it was decriminalized cannabis possession in Denver for quite some time before it went to full legalization and medical use. Um, oh yeah. And yeah. Maine has been slow as shit. Oh my God. You can just now finally buy weed at a store without a, a medicinal card. It's crazy. It's been like years. It's just slow, slow, you know? Right. But the thing is you made it to the finish line, right? You know, it, and, right. and it, it started with, you know, some pioneers being like, we should not be putting people in jail for fucking smoking a joint. And then it slowly yeah. transpires into what it has become. And yeah. you know, I'm fascinated with what, you know, philosophy species can do for people on the like, hey, I need to quit drinking or, hey, I haven't been yeah. happy in years. And they can have these kind of, for lack of a better term, come to Jesus moments. Um, but sure. they, you know, there has to be like a lot of intention associated with that, especially with people who have like... G- you know, I don't want to call them damaged goods, but people that have major issues that they're trying to sort through those people more than anybody, you know, like shouldn't just be able to like go full car launch with, you know, you know, let's just micro or let's heroic dose on this one, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. No, you have to be in the right mindset and mind state to actually do it. And I think that's often overlooked is the set and setting thing. Like you're saying, and it's imperative and, and a lot of the people pushing it now are just like, yeah, it'll solve everything. And you're like, not if you're not ready for it or if you're not the right person, you know. Or do you want to hold that crazy son of a bitch's hand while he's going through this? Because somebody has to hold his right. hand, you know, right. yeah. or at least be close yeah. by, right? You know, like, yeah, uh, 
you know, I have a few well, friends. It's, it's that, also recognizing it can be tragic and you can get something out of that tragedy. It's like, you don't just mainline DMT and be like, my life's so much better now. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I, I find it fascinating when the initiative came out, we as a company did not say yay or nay in favor of it. Um, right. Because it really wasn't our fight. It didn't directly affect us anyway. You know, like I said, we don't live in no. the city and county of Denver. Uh, I, f- I find it fascinating. I think that yeah. um, there's a lot of untapped uh, potential in that world. Uh, you know, seeing what the Johns Hopkins folks are doing with it. And we actually were working yeah. with doing a little bit of consulting for a farm up in, in Canada that was, they got one mm-hmm. of the first uh, permits to do a fully therapeutic use cultivation site, um, which is wow. you know totally fascinating. And we had one of yeah. their guys come down here for a couple of days and um, we kind of chat through kind of systems and what they might need because they were basically going from like a basement level cultivation to like a couple million dollar spot. Right. I'm like, that's a pretty big jump guys. Uh, but it's a heavy one. Yeah. Well, but they had the backing, I think, you know, not to be in that camp, but you know, with enough, know how and definitely enough backing, uh, you know, people can pull off. Do whatever you want. Um, that's true. Man. They, Money they does pretty, make the world go faster. It does make the world go faster, right? You know, um, <laughs> and, and so you know, just interesting to watch those guys. I mean, it was completely uncharted territory. It was still kind of up in the air, and they I mean, they had thrown so much money at it before they even got permits to legally do it. Right? Like they were building out the site just so that they could be at the starting line when the shot was fired. And fortunately, That's you know, wild. it worked out in their favor. They were given the permits to do it. And, you know, it just, uh, yeah, just totally fascinating that our neighbor country is like, we're going to explore this <laughs> on a national level, right? You know, like it just seemed yeah. amazing. But, um, yeah, yeah Canada has its own interesting components to like living up there. Like I know talking to Brad about it, you know, he's like, I wouldn't raise a kid anywhere else. But at the same time, they're, they're definitely like, they have their issues. They overregulate things. They have a bit of control, like on a governmental level that you kind of don't want in there, you know, necessarily if you're from the States. So it's always, it's always a question of like how much people can control what you're independently doing, not business wise, but just on a personal level. If you can be arrested for growing weed in Canada just for yourself, that's pretty fucked up. If on a national level, you know, it's legal. It's, it's a weird, weird system they got. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not super versed, you know, I spent most of my time in British Columbia and, oh, yep. um, you know, living in the Northwest and Liz's uncle, uh, honorary uncle might as well be blood is up yeah. there. We would just smuggle him tobacco and, and alcohol because <laughs> it's expensive. Right. You know, we were like bootlegging right. across country lines. Um, but you know, <laughs> yes. it was like, you know, it, there's so many things, you know, with their health care, other things that just were so much oh, better yeah. than us. So, I mean, I guess the grass is always yep. greener. I mean, there's always something to learn from each other. 
and uh yeah it's always good to have a neighbor to like be envious of or weary of too you're like i don't know how's it up there and i think like that area is very it's it's peculiar like in if you're going into the northwest sort of area of canada it's wild west you know like going up into alaska or into canada or even just down in the pacific northwest it's it's weird man i think that's where evergreen and and the people who've come out of there just bizarrely interesting people. I mean, there's people in, in uh, Whitefield, like a, you know, a town over who graduated from Evergreen and know everybody out there at one time or another. So it's, oh, for this, sure. it's, it's, it's an wild. incestuous it's a, circle. And, and you know, the thing is, Evergreen, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In, in Washington has kind of a bad rap, uh, because it's one of the, Oh, lowest without cost, a doubt. Yeah. It's one of the lowest cost in state schools. Um, you know, there's yeah. not like a, typical grading system um so it's really easy for people to be like these fucking idiots these slackers these hippies these whatever you know uh these anarchists the list goes on but uh you know the people you call us we are the people that i know that went to evergreen that did well right that did remarkably well in that environment that's self-driven like you have access to all these amazing things and you have these faculty that are going to help facilitate yeah. you to do all these amazing things. You just have to fucking do them. Um, yeah. Those people have gone on to do the most amazing things. And, you know, I like yeah. to, us uh, as some small part of it, but it's just, you know, some of my peers have just continued to blow my mind of just like what yeah. they've been able to pull off and they're able to pull it off because they don't need somebody to coddle them the way through it right you know that that school really fosters independent thinking independent learning and uh yeah. and if you can work in that environment you can pretty much do whatever that you want in this world you know at least in my opinion it's totally true yeah people put on these false perceptions of what's going to stop them and uh if a school like that can break through to a number of kids continually on the conceptual level that nothing really can hold you back if you maintain your independence you got a world of crazy ass fucking mushroom growers in 2021 man you know oh for sure there's definitely a few mushroom growers that have come out of there that's for sure and yeah oh yeah you know and it's funny because everybody's talking about the mycelium being interconnected and that's always like a big thing that was pushed <laughs> in this interdisciplinary world and how the, yeah. the evergreen tree that was like the emblem for evergreen state college was drawn on an etch-a-sketch because they wanted to show <laughs> that it was all connected <laughs> <laughs> which i love hippies i love it <laughs> <laughs> fucking yeah. hippies that's cool man i mean it's good to be part of those crowds like i went to a small art school and uh and it was, you know, mo- I think it was like 70% were like lower socioeconomical blue class, blue collar sort of glass cats. And, uh, and there's like a camaraderie there because you do have to survive, you know, you're not just like paying for school, expecting to like, you know, get handed some bitch and job for a hundred K a year right out the bat. You're like, no, I just wasted a bunch of money to paint naked people for four years. <laughs> Therefore I better figure out the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. But the the best people are are there, and you can you can make some friends for life that are just as driven to do the weirdest shit, and those are the ones that continue to inspire inspire me as well. So, yeah, you know, I mean, misfits have always been my crowd, and yeah. you know, if I stayed in Maryland, that's where I grew up, I would have ended up dead or in jail for sure. Of course, and, 
you know, I, uh, you know, found people that were like super creative and super, you know, into reading obscure stuff. And once I found my little groove out there, it was like, what, you know, was I thinking if I was at one point entertaining, not going West, you know, I got it accepted to a bunch of colleges and then around Maryland. And it was like, this was the outlier 3,600 miles away or something like that. You know, it was like, yeah, this is the one, this is the one. And I'm going to get the fuck out. Yeah. So what is your uh, upbringing uh, sort of in a, in a, in a, I don't know, in a brief description, I guess. Is it, was it, did you grow up poor? Did you grow up with money? Was there any sort of uh, push your own agenda, be independent sort of uh, circle around you at all? You know, my parents were kind of metaphysy type to to some degree. Uh, it's kind of a blanket statement, but uh, we grew up close to the D.C. area. My parents didn't couldn't have like buying power in and around the metropolitan area, so they moved to the country, uh, which was definitely harsh on both my brother and I. I think more so on him. I was five and a half years younger, had a little bit more acclimation time. Um, but you know, the town that they moved to from like a kind of metropolitan pocket of DC, uh, was known as the town of Hills, whores and liquor stores. And, um, (laughs) you know, if that is not a place to call home, I don't really know what is. And, (laughs) you know, we, I I think probably went from where I grew up to being like total status quo, you know, middle-class blue collar mix to being like relatively well to do. Cause my dad still took the train into DC to work and they had a couple acres and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but you know, it's just the, the area has gotten a lot cooler. I will give it that since I've left. Uh, but it was definitely, you know, heroin was super big, uh, still is, but, uh, you know, I, I lost a lot of friends and, acquaintances uh, you know even before i left for for college um there's just a lot of like sad stories you know just drug abuse and alcoholism and um just getting into trouble which i got into quite a bit of it myself and uh but i was always just like the kid who still went home and read a couple like random books you know terrence mckenna food of the gods in sophomore year you know or you know, dad gave me a be here now book, you know, and I was a freshman in high school and some of these like, yeah. you know, kind of electric Kool-Aid acid test and, uh, Hunter's Thompson's hell's angels. And like that whole era of reading, uh, I was doing a lot yeah. of that. And these guys were getting fucking weird, but they're smart. You guys are fucking idiots. <laughs> and so I was like, this is not my crowd. Like we might have some things in common, but uh, don't think this is the best place for me to spend my time. And, and then I, like I said, I you know went out to the West coast and definitely found a, a better vibe and crowd. And then, like I said, yeah. I've, I've had some friends gone on to do great stuff where I'm from and I'm super proud of them and proud of the effort and diligence they put into making this kind of rural community cool and bringing yeah. in arts and, and music and that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was definitely an uphill battle and knowing kind of the crowd. Yeah. I well, I mean, 
It was it was not going to be yeah. pretty. There are those who like stay where they grew up and they they flourish or they they falter, and there are those who just go away and they they make a difference in a different place and time. And I think it's it's a lot to like know your trajectory and just follow it through. That's huge. Cause you think of all the things that you would have never gone through if you didn't just fucking leave, you know? And I remember leaving home for the first time and traveling as far as I did and it changes you like entirely. And then you go back to like your hometown and you see the same people doing the same shit and you're like, fuck, they never got out, like never got out, you know? And for some reason you're like, I guess that's okay with them. It wasn't for me. <laughs> totally. You know, I mean, more power to you. You know, everybody's life's their own one to live. Um, yeah. But it was definitely yeah. not going to work out well for me. And, uh, you know, I think that just like any biological life to some degree, it, it, it strengthens by pushing its boundaries and contracting where need yeah. be. And, you know, I even see that in the mushroom world and just watching mycelium grow. And, and if you're playing around with different mixtures and stuff, you can see where it's struggling on a new substrate or it's learning how to adapt to it or whatnot, you know, and, and it's a good, good yeah. kind of like metaphor for life in the sense that, you know, we can get bigger from it in the end. Uh, but I think it's important to, to make sure that whether it's your body and you're exercising or whatever, you're just, you gotta, you gotta push it a little bit or else yeah. you know, there's no greater growth. Right. And I, I feel like we're on this earth at, at the very least to learn to be better um, and yeah. ideally learn to, to help and what all comes from that. So, yeah, it's true, man. I mean, if mushrooms have done anything, they just remind me that I got to drink more water during the day. I'm like, those motherfuckers live in that shit. <laughs> right. Exactly. They are well hydrated, like, you know, well hydrated. <laughs> yeah. And when they're not, they're pissed. <laughs> right. And, you know, living in a, a dry state, you know, it's just like, It'll suck it out of you. You know, right now we're in our moisture gathering oh, yeah. time. Where we get, you know, like last last night I was out working on the container. And we got two inches in like 45 minutes, right? You know, just dump, right? But, you know, by, mid, by mid-July, you know, it's going to be crunchy out there, right? And the, just the sun and it's like you need to drink yeah. water. Or you yeah. eat, eat brown and your skin is going to crack and fall off. Yeah. Get to it, brother. Yeah, man. I remember the first time being out in the desert and then subsequent times people are just like, you realize like how you make beef jerky, right? You just put something like that in an oven. Well, you're in an oven now and you're essentially human beef jerky. So drink some right. fucking water and wear some long sleeve shirts that are white, you know, like <laughs> do anything to try to dehydrate or don't dehydrate yourself. Cause it's going to happen all too fast. And when you live in those diverse climates that are like really nice and then they're like fucking hostile, you forget, you know, and you're like, Oh my God, I am beef jerky. Shit. <laughs> there's like this like zine with burning man and it's called piss clear and that's like its whole thing right? like you know if you're not pissing clear at least some part of the day you are fucking up like get it together drink <laughs> come on yeah. 
Is that more of the scene there? Like I've never been to Burning Man. I've heard so much about it and just refused to go because I, I really can't take that many people in one fucking place. But is it more supportive in that manner or is it like a combination of the fucking complete burnouts and then the, you know, the water drinkers, so to speak? You know, I would say it's more like kind of a Hessian culture, right? It's just, it's kind of like yeah, gnarly like people are very complimentary and loving of each other, but they will still bust your balls in a heartbeat. Like, I love that it wasn't like a grateful dead show. Like, give me a hug. I love you. It's so great to see you. It's just like, you dropped something asshole. Like you're going to pick that up, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I know. It's (laughs) a little harsher. Oh, that's fucking great. I love that that tough love. Right. And, (laughs) There's definitely a lot of heckling, you know, and you'll have, yeah. you know, like one year we'll be next to like the electroshock therapy camp and they've got like Asian, <laughs> like tiny bikinis with cattle prods, just shocking people. That's their gift to the universe. Right. Or like Jesus the, the chain guys were next to one year or, you know, there's just <laughs> such a, such a wide breadth of people and they're mainly just building shit to make each other laugh, which that's my favorite yeah. part of it, right? There's like no real point. Oh man, humor, and but it's definitely and the best part. Of a rainbow gathering kind of crowd for sure. It's definitely oh, that's like, good. You have to have your. That's shit good together. to know, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you are like going to make it out there into a town that doesn't exist before or after, you know. So it's it has this like conceptual, esoteric, and and very existential like basis in general. So you're just, you might as well have that, I don't know, predisposition to understanding those weird facets and being able to play with them in your head to, to get excited out there, which is cool. That's what I kind of thought it was, but I wasn't sure, you know, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how many times people have been like, you should come out. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I mean, you would love it being a gearhead and just like, like the, the stuff that people fabricate, the cars. I mean, we made it in motor trend magazine, uh, two years in a really? row for the, the art car we built. We split a PT Cruiser in half. That was our last one. Put in like big rear no, coils. Man. We got 26 people on that thing cruising down the playa. Holy just, shit. You know, <laughs> it was like taking that PT loser and giving it a whole new life. Um, Fuck yeah, dude. Oh my yeah. God. Those PT Cruisers when they first came out, they were terrifying. I was like, look at that mini hearse, man. What is happening in there? <laughs> Then and you try to get in one and you like sit in the back and you're like, I'm going to fucking die of claustrophobia back here. Get me the fuck out. <laughs> well, and they've got the same engine as the Dodge Neon. So just imagine a Neon with yeah. 26 people on it, right? You know, like it, it's, it's impressive with what you can do. But, you know, it's just it's the, so good. the scale of the art, the scale of the know-how, the scale of just like, you know, a yeah. group of people that come out and they go, you know, there is not a single trash can there, but there's no trash, right? You know, there is no right. restaurant there. There's no place where you can buy food, but there's abundance of food to eat. Uh, and yeah. it's just, it's cool how it all works out. Um, you know, and it's just a temporary yeah. societal experiment. I mean, it's changed a lot over the course of the time that we've gone. I think population has more than doubled since we first started going. But, uh, you know, for us, it was just like a, a fascinating thing to kind of be involved in and, um, yeah, you know, like we'd be next to Dr. Bronner's camp and they've got these giant 
showers, right? And people like hosing you down from up on top and you're just in the sea of hundred <laughs> people, right? You know, and you're just like, this is weird, but I'm getting this clean. This is fucking weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Well, I know it's sort of like, it speaks to that weird coming from the East Coast world and, and going towards the West like you and I, I think, have both done. Like, I was blown away when we got to San Francisco and there was, like, recycling. It was, like, paper, plastic, glass, trash, compost, everywhere you went. And I was like, what the fuck have we been doing my entire life, like, on the East Coast? You don't realize that, like, uh, not that far away, a few thousand miles, people operate completely different, you know? It's, it's like a strange reality shock, you know, and then you go into these other worlds like Burning Man and it's fucking nuts that this many people can make this happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, thank God it only lasts 10 days. I think it would fall apart at like that (laughs) three week mark. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I wonder like who figured that out. And they're just like, well, what are we doing? We're slowly desiccating in the sun is what's happening. But, uh, (laughs) yeah yeah it's the only place in the earth you could fucking do it though <laughs> yeah no, for sure. definitely a funny place it is my man well fuck what would you i you know i i hate to make this like generic question but like um what would you offer as just a fucking small bit of advice to people who are getting into this because there are a lot it's crazy. And and they all ask all of us for consultations or hours of our time or emails or whatever. And, and I can't ever nail it down to one thing that I've learned that makes the most sense, but maybe you can. <laughs> I think the biggest takeaway, and this is kind of like a motto we have around here is just be okay with failing forward. And you know, it's, it's hard, right? You know, it's like, you're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to think that you're doing great and then it all falls apart. But it's it's about perseverance, right? We're not on a sprint. We're in a marathon. And, um, you know, not that I've done much long distance running, but I hear that there's a runner's high that one achieves deep in the, in the flow of the run. And I think that you can get to that in this mushroom cultivation world or even just like any business really like you've been doing it long enough like i remember reading malcolm gladwell's outliers and um one of the things that was highlighted in that was just like just time and dedication right so you might not necessarily be amazing at something but if you're willing to just put in the time and the effort and just keep getting up and keep getting up and keep getting up that there hits a point where you like, you can touch the magic, right? And the magic becomes one with you. And you're like, Oh yep. You know, it's so hard for me when we do bring in staff, you know, and we're not fully staffed year round, uh, because of our seasonality, but you know, we usually have one to two people helping us for the season and kind of bringing them up to speed. But there's so many things that is like almost impossible for me to explain as far as just like the people I check in with and how it all works because it's such an intuitive part of me and I just know how, right? I I know how to make it work. Like we've got a shortage of mushrooms this week or we've got a glut of mushrooms this week. They always find homes or it all figures itself out. How does it? It's hard to put in a standard operating practice. I really don't know how the fuck it happens, but I know that I've been doing it enough that it does. 
and very little goes in the dehydrator or nothing actually gets composted. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's what it really comes down to in my mind is, is just like yeah. have the stones to keep going. Right. And grind hard. And yeah. I think that's it. Just keep cruising. Yeah. Nobody likes a quitter. So. No. Nah. <laughs> Second place is the first loser, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's true. That perseverance is huge, man. And I think that that statement offers up a lot to people who, uh, you know, might think that this is like a very quick way to make cash or start a business. And uh, it's not. It's farming. You know, it takes an incredible amount of time and dedication and in um, <clears throat> sleepless nights thinking about how to make stupid things work when they don't want to work you know, and expecting there to be only success is just asking for fucking failure. So I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, no, for sure. It, it's definitely, you know, the farming world's like the only, you know, major enterprise that'll spend a million to make a hundred grand. Right. And it's, yeah. it's true. I mean, there's very few enterprises that are like, that's a good allocation of resources, you know, <laughs> but I think we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's pure dumbassery, but you know, it's beautiful. It's, uh, I always, um, attribute it to being similar to something I'm super jealous of. And I always insult these individuals because they never look at it this way, but I've come across so many people who are in the, um, uh, like programming worlds, so they're in the internet world, everything they do in the app ones and zeros, it doesn't matter. The, like literally electricity goes away and it they're all of their work has disappeared and it's gone for fucking ever if it doesn't come back so to speak and there's something so beautiful about that you know and it's oh, it's sure. what you put into something like that that really it's just cool you know and i feel like the same thing goes for for how mushroom farms evolve you just have like fucking a back 40 full of failed experiments and uh you'll use portions of that shit you know, you better have some good storage because you're going to tear shit apart and rebuild weird stuff into <laughs> Frankenstein equipment. <laughs> yeah. The other, the other tip is make sure you have a hoard, make it organized, yes. but make sure you have a hoard of some sort. Right. Yeah. Totally. Make sure it's covered in a tarp, you know, don't let it rain on that fucking <laughs> pile of shit. <laughs> Ideally, but if you don't have a tarp, Ideally. still have a hoard. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well thanks for doing this man i really appreciate it and i appreciate what you guys are doing and you know congratulations on the kid and and where you guys are at i'm i'm impressed man every time a farm gets to this like sort of level i'm fucking stoked for them so i'm stoked for you guys and uh i'm excited to see what becomes of it all oh yeah well much appreciated you know we couldn't do it without great folks like you guys and We've learned a lot over the years through all the community and there's definitely something to be said that, yeah. you know, before YouTube channels were, you know, omnipresent, it's, it's nice that we were able to kind of do it by leaning on each other and asking the right questions and knowing the right people. And it feels more yeah. of a rootsy way to, to, to make it. So it's been a fun journey yeah. and uh, been a pleasure to be on here tonight. Fuck yeah, man. Thanks for being on here, and uh, we'll touch base again. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon, man. Appreciate it.
Cheers. All right. Sounds good, bud. This episode is dedicated to one of our first employees, young Seamus, or as the adults call him, Sean Mulkern. I got to have you on the podcast one of these days, Sean, so we can talk about the olden days of Cap and Stem. Stay sane out there on the West Coast, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. You can follow or subscribe to Micah Wizards wherever you get your podcasts and write to us, P.O. Box 897 in Gardner, Maine, because I like that snail mail. If you want to follow us on Instagram, head on over to Micah Wizards Podcast or Maine Cap and Stem Mushroom Company at Maine Cap and Stem. I don't know what it is. You'll find us. <laughs> this episode was produced and sponsored by Maine Cap and Stem Mushroom Company with music composed by Damon Hicks. Head on over to capandstem.com for certified organic substrate and spawn for all your mycological needs. And until next time, later on.